he looked at me and he said, Philip, he said, um, you know, you can chase those guys around if you want to and move your family all over the place, but here's what's important. It's important to count your pennies, but it's a lot more important to make your pennies count. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. To learn more, visit baileymiles.com and be sure to rate, review, and follow us on all social media platforms. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Philip Fulmer is the College Football Hall of Fame former head coach and athletic director at the University of Tennessee. Coach Fulmer led Tennessee to a national championship title in 1998, two SEC championships, 152 wins, coach of the year, and many other accolades. He has coached players from Peyton Manning, Eric Berry, Jason Witten, and many other great players. However, aside from all the accolades and great teams he's coached, the intentionality to impact his players off the field is what truly stands out. Coach Fulmer is Tennessee through and through. He played at the University of Tennessee, and once he decided to get into coaching, he started as a GA there. He then spent a few years away at Wichita State and then Vanderbilt University before making his way back to Knoxville. On the show, you'll get to hear his story of growing up, the impact of his parents, the power of belief, open communication, being yourself, leadership, faith, being united as one, and much more. For more information on Coach Fulmer, check out philipfulmer.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today I have a special guest, Coach Philip Fulmer. Coach Fulmer, thanks for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, if you wouldn't mind, just give us some context into what life was like growing up for you and just maybe the impact of your parents. Yeah, Bailey, I, I was very blessed to have wonderful parents and very supportive. And, and Dad worked hard, to, two jobs all of his life. Mom was a stay-at-home mom and so was really involved in, in our life. Uh had two siblings younger and, um, you know, just a great support. Very large uh, uh, family. Mother was one of 10 children. And so there was lots and lots of cousins. And, you know, the family unit was, uh, you know, was really important to the Fulmer and the Heist family um, there in in Winchester. Uh, Also, Coaches were very influential in my life, uh, teachers, administrators. Um, you know, as, as far back as I can remember, we just always had wonderful guidance and support, and, and a lot was centered around the, the church. Uh, you know, we grew up Baptist, so all, uh, every time the doors could be open, we were there, you know, for our, our youth, youthful years. So, um, a nice place. Uh, so when, when I uh, left left for college, you know, it was one of those things that uh, uh, everybody was pulling for you to have a chance to do something, you know, better than than you know where we'd come from. It was kind of the American dream, I guess. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And kind of going into you talked about growing up in the church. Has your faith always been something that's been important to you? It has in our family. It, it has uh, been been that way. Uh, certainly, I could do have have done better along the way, like all of us, I guess. But uh, made that a very important part of our our lives. And and uh, growing up, Fellowship of Christian Athletes was huge. 
and going to those camps was was great and the relationships uh there that were built and friendships you know that still stick today and uh and uh, then you know um, as as part of our our uh our lives um our football lives you know we uh uh made that an important part of our 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 being a head coach so so uh, making sure that the young people had the opportunity to to experience um you know, uh, uh, fellowship Christian athletes or campus crusade or whatever it might be, uh, uh, as part of the, uh, of their, you know, training, if you will, you know, obviously there was school and, and then the personal growth, but we made the faith growth, growth, a big part of it too, which I think helped our success a lot. Absolutely. And I think I'd heard it's a story that maybe you guys were the first team in college football to, to have a full-time chaplain on staff. Or something along those lines. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. that speaks yeah. volumes to what you're talking about is even just as you described growing up with your parents, with family and friends, with coaches and your church, you're providing opportunities for that support system for the guys that you coach as well. And I think that's that's really invaluable. But kind of going back into your coaching career, before you got into coaching, you actually played at Tennessee. What was it like to be a player and have some of the coaches that you had? Because I know they made an impact on your life. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, my, my, the two head coaches that I had while I was at Tennessee, Doug Dickey and Bill Battle are still great friends of mine, uh, today, but, uh, uh, well, you know, to go come from a small town atmosphere and have a chance to go and look at other places that you might consider going and coach, you know, uh, coach Bryant at Alabama was kind of the thing that, you know, at that time. And, uh, when we were growing up and, and where I lived, uh, grew up in, in middle Tennessee was really closer to Tuscaloosa than it was, it was, uh, Knoxville. And, uh, so, and my coach was a Alabama fan. He was a Bear Bryant fan. Really. Okay. So, um, um, that was a, that was a real pull for me. And they just won the national championship in 66 and, Everything and then Coach Dickey comes in and does some great things at Tennessee and in '67 beat Alabama. And all of a sudden, hey, I need to rethink this, you know. And <laughs> my mom kind of wanted me to stay home, stay in Tennessee anyway. So uh, you know, changed my mind and never looked back. And it was a, it was being at Tennessee was a wonderful thing. Great friendships that we still have. I think we were thirty-one and five, or something like that, in our in our time. So we had a great run of wins, and and uh, but the relationships, and and then the relationship with the university, I, I wouldn't trade trade anything for. Absolutely, and you touched on being thirty and five, but most importantly, the relationships that you built and established when you were there are super meaningful, and obviously, it helps when you're thirty and five too. It makes it a little bit fun. Makes but- it better. <laughs> yeah, it makes it a lot better, that's for sure. But uh, obviously, when you graduated, you got into coaching. And I think, did you first go to Wichita State? Is that where you went? Well, the first thing I did was uh, I was a I was a graduate assistant. Uh, mm-hmm. Coach Coach Battle was good enough. I I finished my undergraduate, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I interviewed and was accepted with uh, with Procter and Gamble. I, thought, I was thinking, you know, maybe I want to be a 
principal one day or, you know, and, and a coach, uh, possibly a high school coach. Um, law school was uh, serious about that. Took a couple of undergrad, undergraduate law school courses at that time just to see what I what I, cause I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, coach came along and said, hey, you know, I think you'd re- really be good at this, Coach Battle, Bill Battle. And um, go to give it a try and, you know, I'll pay for your school and da-da-da. And I, I did. I asked to go coach on the defensive side so I could learn actually came to Tennessee as a linebacker and ended up playing guard. That was, that was a kind of typical that, that, that they'd find athletes and put them wherever they needed to be back then, you know, I wouldn't be nearly big enough down, but, okay. uh, um, so I did, I said, you know, I'll, I'll try this. And I just fell in love with it. You know, uh, Gary Wyant was, was a secondary coach and later worked for me. Uh, but, uh, I just loved how he worked with his players, how, how he, um, you know, he coached uh, and they were really good, a bunch of good players. And, uh, so I had a very good experience. And then I was fortunate this could be Jim Wright gets a job. He's the offensive coordinator at Wichita and I'm 23 and that's unheard of, you know, to get a break like that. But I was very fortunate to get to, go to Wichita State, and uh, <laughs> Coach Wright actually took one salary of $12,000 and split it and hired two of us, two, oh. two, young, <laughs> two young guys that were just excited to be, you know, coaching and didn't care what we made or anything at, at that particular time. So, And it was John Stuckey, actually, who I later hired was my strength coach for, for our really, really good run that we had there unfortunately he passed passed away but um it was a wonderful experience to get started that early at at wichita state Mm -hmm. absolutely and you're at wichita state then you go to vanderbilt i believe and then you make it back to tennessee but before we get into you as a head coach what are some things that you learned maybe from those coaches um as an assistant and then what do you think it may what do you think makes a great assistant coach and how do you be really effective in that role and then how did that translate into you having an opportunity to then become a head coach because of doing a good job as an assistant? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when, when you take a job of, for anything, you know, that you're doing, uh, assistant coach or assistant manager or manager, or, or just a, you know, a, a worker in the organization that you give ever anybody your very best effort. And, um, you know, be excited about it, be, be energetic about it. Uh, um, you know, if somebody asks you, uh, you know, to work eight hours a day and then give them a, a good eight hours of, of work. Uh, and in our coaching world, you'd, you'd have, you know, you might be working 18 hours a yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oftentimes, but, you know, to be loyal and work hard and, and, and put your best foot forward and, and learn, I, I asked coach to, uh, you know, and I, I think I was a good recruiter for them. I think that kind of came naturally because if I, if I, uh, was selling something, uh, you know, I, I needed to believe in it. And I believed in coach Wright at Wichita when I first went there, certainly believed at Tennessee, 
I did a good job for Vanderbilt from the year that I was there. Enjoyed that. And, and obviously get back in Tennessee. I was very loyal to uh, very and believe very much in the university of Tennessee, you know, but you got to believe in it and have a passion uh, to do it. And, uh, Everybody has to have their own style. I can't be like somebody else, and somebody else can't be like me. But we need to we need to be, be able to put our best foot forward and 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 be loyal and and you know contribute to the organization. And uh, at Wichita, we I mean we absolutely were starting from scratch, from very and. Um, about three years into it, we're better, and I think four years we, at the fourth year we we, we uh, won the conference. So uh, had some good 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 young people come in and we and we played. So played well. Absolutely, and I think that being able to start from scratch at Wichita, be at Vanderbilt, and then be assistant at Tennessee before you getting to the head coaching job, I'm sure you learned a tremendous amount. But what did it look like maybe to step into the head coaching role? Because obviously there was a coach there prior to there was a kind of environment, but even if there was a good or bad environment, you're going in there and you're kind of putting your footprint in the environment and the culture and trying to build it in, in the way that you would want to as a head coach. And what did that look like from, from day one for you? What were the things you tried to establish looking back? As, as a head coach? As a head yeah. coach, yes, sir. Yeah, well, everything everything you did as, a, as an assistant, uh, good things, sometimes things that you didn't do well, you learn from, you know, and I was, I was a good observer also of, of, uh, you know, oftentimes you learn the most of somebody that doesn't, doesn't do it well. Cause Hey, I, I'm not going to make that mistake. You know, there's two ways to learn things, <laughs> you know, the easy way and the hard way. And I, I, as much as we can, you don't want to learn it the hard way. Uh, so you know, when I got to Tennessee, I think I had a, a, a an idea of what I wanted it to look like when I became the head coach, and and how I wanted players to be treated and 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 disciplined, and and how we were going to recruit, and um, um, you know, spend the spend the time and the effort to. But basically, you're taking adolescence into man, manhood, you know, and. Uh, I think the players knew that we cared about them and that we that we loved them, and we didn't mind telling them. You know, it's man to man. Oftentimes, it's hard to to tell people that you that you love them, and um, but we we made a point to do that, and uh, and communicated with the families if things were going great. That, that was an easy conversation. If things weren't going always great, it wasn't an easy conversation always. But but uh, we had had open communication with our parents and and most of the time it worked out fine sometimes it just didn't you know and, and that we'd have to you know go our separate ways but most of the time our, our players and our parents of the players were our best salesmen they were our best recruiters because they they knew that we cared about their 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 sons and, and, and then as an athletic director, their sons and daughters, everybody, you know, because it was the same kind of philosophy um, that they were going to be in a good culture. They were going to be supported academically. They were going to be supported personally and that they were going to be supported, uh, you know, uh, from a religion standpoint that we, we were going to be there for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that I really like the point you touched on about having the hard conversations and having that open communication, because as a coach, you touched on the word care, too. 
when people know that you care for them, I think it brings out a lot from that individual and from the team collectively, because if you care for one person, they care for each other. It has a really good team dynamic and that's really important, but also to have high standards because uh, you guys had high standards, but you still had a deep level of care for, for those guys. And you had a lot of success doing that. And, and it, it was throughout the organization, our staff are, are, were great. Our support groups, you know, whether it be academically or, uh, uh, you know, in the medical world or, or uh, just, you know, personal support uh, throughout the system, administrative support, everybody was on the same page and, and we were all communicating and, and um, that was, that was huge for us to be able to, um, to be kind of one, you know, not, not, not in different silos, not, not, you know, somebody with their own agenda, you know, we all had the same agenda and that was the, the welfare of our young people. And, and then, working like heck to win football games. So, you know, it's good. Yeah. And then it, that's really challenging to do, especially in this day and age to get everyone in a collective concerted effort to work towards a common vision and not think about yourself and have those factions within the, with the, within the team dynamic. So I like that you touched on that. And if you wouldn't mind, you know, you went in and, and had a great run at Tennessee. You won in 1998, the national championship. I know that was an amazing experience, but you've also touched on some other experiences that were impactful to you as well. I mean, it's very easy to, to think that 1998, winning a national championship, being coach of the year um, could be the highlights. But at the same time, you talked about relationships before and some of the players that you had. Um, what, what do you feel like, I remember you talk, talking about what was your best team yeah, that's a hard one uh, because we had a you know a lot of good teams. You could you know if you if we had the playoff system then that we have now, you look at uh, ninety five, ninety seven, ninety eight, of course, ninety nine, and two thousand one would have all been teams that would yeah final four, you know, and and so those Peyton Manning and post Peyton uh, years were were uh, all really good but you go back my, f- my favorite team and they all I, I shouldn't say it like that I need to figure out a better way to say that but one of the team that I, I teams I enjoyed the most and I think did an awful lot for the for our our future uh, was the 93 team uh, I think it's three 93 94 it was, it was Heath Schuler's last year. Excuse me. He he he's graduated or, or left early uh, for pro football, and Jerry Colquitt takes over as quarterback. And and then unfortunately, you know, everybody circled the wagons around Jerry, and he was really good. And we had a really good team. And all of a sudden, we play in the first ball game, and he he's out. He's done. You know. And uh, um, so, long story short. We started the season one and three, huh. and uh, that is not a pleasant place to be at <laughs> Tennessee for sure. So um, we, but Todd Helton plays for a couple games, and he gets nicked up, and you know we kind of got it back on track. And then uh, the two freshmen, Peyton Manning and Brandon Stewart, have you know take over, and then Peyton obviously takes takes the ball and just runs with it and we win I think eight games and 
But it started uh, it started to run the best era in Tennessee football modern history came out of those ashes of when we were one and three. That team showed so much heart and so much uh, leadership and everything. And even though it wasn't a quote championship team, it was the precursor to to that great, well, the great best era in Tennessee football modern history. So <laughs> I do, I'm very partial to that group of kids that fought out of those ashes. Absolutely. Laying the foundation and getting things going and, and being able to overcome a little bit of adversity at the start of the season and finish, finish strong and people stepping in and in their roles and, and taking over and creating that environment that you had wanted to create and the culture that you established when you first got there. And it laid the foundation for a long time. And kind of going into that, I remember hearing a story about you with the former Texas A&M coach as you had left Tennessee and you were thinking about coaching and it's, he had kind of had this, this uh, story about pennies to you, which I think is a great, great perspective. It's really fascinating. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe, maybe share that real quickly. Yeah. You've done your research. Haven't you? <laughs> uh, um, R.C. Slocum is a good friend and a great guy and, and he had a similar kind of thing happen to him uh, that happened to me, basically. You're winning a, won a lot of games, and all of a sudden you had a bad year. And for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't work out, and you, you, you get fired. So uh, I'm in Nashville at the Opryland Hotel, and I'm putting staff together, and I'm hoping to coach again. But I'm struggling with – what to do actually because of my family had never had to move. Uh, and, you know, I could see trying to go someplace that hadn't won in 50 years and hear yourself trying to turn it around. And now you've disrupted your family and everything else. So it was, it was, I was in a dilemma. Uh, so he grabs me in the hallway there and pulls me into a restaurant and we, he pulls out a dollar bill and give, gives it to the, uh, waitress and says, I, I would like uh, a pennies, a hundred pennies. <laughs> so I'm looking at him, what is he doing? You know, so <laughs> we get coffee and she brings the pennies back, a roll of pennies. He breaks them open and spreads them out. And he says, how old are you? And I said, I'm 58. He takes 58 pennies off the table. I figured out pretty quick what he was doing, but, but it was impactful. And he said, let's say you live to 85. That's uh, a good long life. So he took he takes fifteen more pennies off the table, and now there's not a lot of pennies there. <laughs> and and then he says uh, those last five years might not be great anyway, and he takes five more pennies off the table. So there's not a lot of pennies. And uh, he looked at me and he said, Philip, he said, um, you know, you can chase those guys around if you want to and move your family all over the place, but here's what's important. It's important to count your pennies, but it's a lot more important to make your pennies count. Obviously, he's talking about years. And it hit me right between the eyes. You know, all the anger, all the disappointment, all those, all those things just, just almost like instantly went away. And I said, you know what? Um, God's telling me something <laughs> about that I spend some quality time with my family and and. At that point on, from that point on, it was it was all all good. Absolutely, so. and I think that story is so so great because you get to see the perspective and having a, a close friend around you that you were close with be able to yeah. help 
give you a, a word of wisdom and advice. And like you touched on, you would have had, you had a lot of other opportunities to go coach, but you wanted to keep your family intact. And I love that. And just real quickly, as we wind down, I'd love to, to hear kind of your perspective on being a good husband and father, because I think that's a story, what you just touched on that you don't hear of, especially in college athletics, professional athletics, people staying in one place for such a long period of time, uh, keeping their family intact and putting them first. And obviously you made your faith a priority and you were able to integrate that. I've, I've heard you touch on stories where your kids would come over uh, for lunch and practice. And I think that's what some of the best coaches do is they, they blend their family into what they do because it's a tough environment. Like you touched on working 18 hours, that's, that's very true. I mean, you're working long hours to try to be the best at what you can be, but being able to have your family there and be a part because it's different, but you can still make it different for them as well. Yeah, I have to give my wife a lot of credit then. My wife, Vicki, a lot of credit, you know, that way, because she did. She'd bring them over for lunch or, you know, bring them over for practice. And I remember the little the little ones running around and, and uh, I had two first-round tackles there, Anton Davis and Charles McRae, you know, back when I was an assistant coach. And, you know, they would – they're both six, five, six, seven guys, you know, and – they're out there. They got my little, you know, daughters. They're they're playing in the dummies, you know, or hiding from them and jumping out of the uh, piles of air shields and stuff that they put. It's just, and we had, you know, we had lunches. We had uh, obviously, uh, um, they were part of, you know, of of the of the uh, like pregame and all that. They were around, you know, all, all the time. And then when I became a head coach, it was even more so. So. I have to give my wife credit for for making sure that we uh, got got the birthday parties and all those kind of things. That uh, was uh, family was important. Our kids are still very close to our coaches' staff. Uh, my our coach staff kids. You know, we were just with them yesterday in the mountains, a bunch of them. So <laughs> we have a we have a little tribe, if you will, almost uh, that we we've stayed close. Absolutely, and I think you know. That's super important, but obviously you touched on your wife and the impact that she had being a mom and the players that you had are like hundreds of big brothers to your kids, which is a cool aspect of that. But there's a story that you had told before where you guys had just played down at Alabama. I think you had tied. It didn't go the way you wanted to because you guys were the favorite and you're driving back and, and she has a little bit of uh, words of wisdom for you to, to kind of keep you humble. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just share, share real quickly what she said. Yeah, um, I guess, you know, I wasn't being very, uh, very nice. And we had stayed over in Tuscaloosa because we were uh, open, or Birmingham. We were playing in Birmingham then. So we were we were open the next week, and we had some friends, so we stayed over. And we're driving back, um, and uh, I guess I had snapped at Vicky. Oh, she was driving, so I guess I'd not answered a question like I said, whatever it was, and snapped. And she pulled over on the side of the road and she said, let me tell you something. She said, everybody in the state of Tennessee hates you today except for me. <laughs> and you're about to look at me. So <laughs> anyway, she put me in my place, which I needed, you know, but uh, it was, it was just fun. Absolutely. But having, having a, a spouse that, you can joke with, but also keeps you humble, I think is really important. Well, Coach Fulmer, the final question. I Joking, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah but she may not have been, but 
the final question I have for you, coach, is, is this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? Well, there's excellence, at, at, you know, at all sorts of levels. Uh, but, you know, for, for me, it's it's having a, a culture and, if you would, a family, uh, you know, that, that can uh, work together and love together and and be together and and enjoy each other and you know have the have the strong Christian uh, foundation and so when things get tough that you you know you've got that place that you can go to so I'm I feel very uh, very blessed uh, to have the support that uh, that that I've had outward but I feel much more. Um, blessed to, to have the support and the love and that we have as a, as a family and friends. So, uh, to me, that would be, you know, um, excellence in, in a nutshell. Absolutely. Well, coach, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing a little bit of your story and some of the principles that you've learned. Um, you're obviously someone who has, has done that at a high level and you've tried to integrate just those things that you talk about, uh, being true to yourself and integrating that into, whether your, your culture as a family, as a team, as a staff, and even as an athletic director, you were able to do that. And it's uh, been, been fun having you on. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and, and thanks for coming on. Thank you, Barry. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Building Excellence Podcast. If you found value today, we would really appreciate it if you shared the show and left a rating and review. Also, be sure to follow us on all podcasts and social platforms, as well as YouTube, where you can watch full video episodes. To learn more about the podcast or any coaching or speaking, check out baileymiles.com. Thanks again, and now go work to build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy.